welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. Uh, and this week we have, we're doing another two guests. We haven't done, we don't do these very often, um, but I'm excited when we do. Uh, and we have two friends who have come uh, on. We, we recently, we both recently guested on their podcast. Um, but we've this this series uh, or this idea has sort of been brewing for a little bit. We are once again joined by Josh from uh, this uh, the Worst of All Possible Worlds podcast. Hello, and we're joined by Brian from the same podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. I, I I'm having like uh, very nice memories of when I came on to talk about the weird radio show of which yeah, I staying up until like one a.m. or something um, like that. Yeah, just like... and and just sort of going insane, and then my wife just being very mad at me uh, because <laughs> uh, because I woke her up, but I woke her up with like the dumbest stuff possible. Like she had said something about like you know. Uh, just hearing me talk about like weird back rooms and stuff, and I was yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's better, "Better if you don't know. Better if you don't." Please <laughs> listen. It's it's for the content. I promise. <laughs> it's it's yeah, yeah. It's all it always. But no, uh, this week we are talking about uh, something that is a little bit more serious. Uh, although that being said, like within a similar similar frame, I guess. Um, yeah. uh, Josh, you mentioned uh, that there was a uh, new TV series that came out. Uh, which mm-hmm. actually was something. So when you came on to talk about evangelical posting, uh, this church came up quite a lot. Yes. Um, the church called Hillsong and the series uh, called Hillsong and Mega Church Exposed. Uh, this is a four episode uh, documentary series, which kind of goes into this mega church that I think for most people, they would have probably like most people in at least outside of America might have sort of interacted with it during the time when a lot of celebrities, mostly Justin Bieber, were um, converting to Christianity and like there was converting to, and the types of the church that he sort of converted in was, it felt more like an like an, an entertainment experience. Um, yeah. But uh, since then, Hillsong has kind of got exposed for being um, bad in basically every way uh and the opening of the documentary does sort of explain but like yeah this wasn't just like one type of awful it was multiple types of awful that range from sexual harassment to uh financial exploitation labor exploitation um yeah there was a lot that was sort of going on and so we thought uh this would be a good episode uh this would this would be a good series to talk to both of you guys about yeah it's it's it was the posting church. I mean, really, yeah. it was the church that discovered posts probably before any mm. other. Yeah. Um, it's such a it's like, especially what we're talking about in this in this first part of this documentary is like the American stuff. And it feels so American, which is why it's so interesting mm. that it started in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I keep, like, I keep, I keep forgetting about this. <laughs> it sounds like a, the origins of this are very much in Australia. Every time the founder appears in this documentary, I get a little kind of like <laughs> just a little kind of oh, oh just, just like readjustment yeah. of this guy of this guy and just being like and and, and and I know that part of this is that is is just kind of like obnoxious obnoxious anti Australian sentiment, but you just you don't <laughs> think of connecting Australians with evangelical churches because right. well, they because they just they just like they just like don't. They just don't do that. That doesn't feel like 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 kind of charismatic Pentecostalism is just so not what I associate with Australia and the Australian people. But that's that's the whole thing that's so interesting about it, right? Is that mm. Hillsong being an organization that's so enmeshed in Australia, in Australian politics too, actually, which they yeah. get a lot more into the third and fourth mm. episodes, which we're going to talk about in the part two of this. Um, they really had the unique ability for a very long time to draw in a very specific type of person, mm-hmm. get them to give them all their fucking money, mm. and then use those resources to continue to raise the profile of their own organization. And um, it, it, it's watching this documentary is a pretty gnarly experience. Uh, I, I, I would not. <laughs> recommend going into it if you're not ready to you know confront some darkness Mm. um but if you are up for that i gotta say you know there have been a few different things done about hillsong at this point there was another documentary that was done on discovery Discovery. channel sucks Mm. fucking dog dick terrible ass 
Um, this is the one to watch if you really want to understand what this organization is and what it does. Yeah. Because mm. it has a it has a particular name, doesn't it? I've, I've obviously now completely forgotten what it was, uh, yeah. which is uh, which is a type of uh, a type of evangelical Christianity, which is moving away quite quite strongly and decisively away from uh, rich men into heaven and camels and needles eyes and so on <laughs> and so forth. Uh, but where it's not just a case of it's not just a kind of case of well, you tithe to your church in order for your church to keep running, in order for it to kind of pay its mate, like kind of its basic costs, and um, and you know, pastors don't take um, either don't take salaries or take very very small ones, so their income is kind of supplemented by uh, by the congregants' tithes, and then it feels, but then it feels like it's kind of also um, also kind of tying in with like very old ideas about like being able to buy indulgences. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also it's really, really kind of like flavored with like new age manifestation stuff. Yeah, so with this yeah. idea of the idea of like the experience of God and the relationship of God as being like a kind of cosmic cash point that you can yeah, make it's, requests it's like of. A, it's like mm. a, an investment of virtue that yeah. will pay back in literal money for you. Which will pay this back is called in, the uh, yeah, which is not this, just paying back in the afterlife. It's paying back yeah. now. It's right like here. which is right. which, yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's manifestation stuff. It's law of attraction. It, this is stuff. called the prosperity doctrine or prosperity the prosperity gospel. Doctrine. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and not, what probably the biggest prosperity gospel guy in the U.S. is a man named Joel Osteen, whose entire thing is like his whole church is just like he gives you little motivational speeches there and and little like slogans you could put on a bumper sticker. Uh, there's one that he said, it's one that is stuck in my mind because it's so bewildering. Uh, that is, you know why your rear view mirror is smaller than your back window of your car? I don't know, Brian, why? <laughs> because what's in front of you is so much more important than what's behind you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. Like, why I did he say it. the back window it. and not the windshield, like the front, like the rear view mirror? Like, yeah. Like, mm. so uh, my, uh, I, I should also preface my my parents went to college with Joel Osteen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the prosperity doctrine is is really interesting, and it has come out of sort of American Pentecostalism and Australian Pentecostalism, and the the founder of this church, uh, Brian Houston, or Houston, as they say, uh, who looks sort of like Australian, like Charles Dance. Like mm. he looks like Tywin Lannister, but, you know, in an Australian accent, which just makes him even more like terrifying mm. every time yeah, he comes he, on yeah, the screen. No, 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 he kind of does. <laughs> he, lo he looks like, well, like if Tywin Lannister had like, had just won an employee of the month award at a kind of <laughs> mid-size regional estate agent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you picture those two together that's what you're dealing with with brian Houston. yeah and like what he did was he he went to the united states and his father also i think went to the united states and they, they sort of picked things up from what they were seeing out there and then his father sort of started these uh, or led these like assemblies of god churches in new zealand and then brian houston did this thing where he was like a church planter, which is very much a thing, something you hear about a lot, certainly in American evangelicalism, maybe less so in what Josh grew up in, but a lot more in what I grew up in as a Southern Baptist. Um, people who will just like start a church, be the pastor there for a couple of years, mm. get, you know, a couple hundred people to join, and then they go and they start another church somewhere else, like Johnny Appleseed or something. Um Huh. And it, is Johnny a, Appleseed a thing that British people know anything about? I, I just was curious. I was like, do you, is that a is that a uh, reference that means anything no, to you? No, that's that that was illegible to me. Excellent. <laughs> um, Johnny Johnny Appleseed is a guy in sort of the American he's, for mythology. For some reason, every American knows about this fucking guy. He, uh, he who walked he, around he, with a pan on his head like Don Quixote and threw apple seeds everywhere to grow whiskey apples. <laughs> He's just one of those like guys. Who, I don't even know if he was a real guy or not, but we love to he talk was. about there him. There was actually a guy, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there was there was an apples, yeah, an apples guy. 
Um, yeah, he's like a symbol of American this, expansion this, and the sort of like, like taming an, of the wilderness. Like an American Dick Whittington. I'm trying to work out what the analogy is. I don't know. I, I don't know who Dick, Dick Whittington, Whittington is. <laughs> It was the first Lord Mayor of London was Dick Whittington. A, a I don't think Johnny Appleseed would classify he didn't as have that. A, he, didn't, well, he didn't have a kind of official position. Yeah, all of Johnny our, all of our legendary... not in the Congress. <laughs> I think Johnny Appleseed feels like just a guy that was invented and... Like yeah, really like, I don't know, this is the horrible thing i have to like defend johnny appleseed because he did yeah. in fact exist but like all, all of the johnny appleseed haters are out in force again <laughs> yeah all, well, all no, of the be american weak. like legendary figures were either part of the revolution or they're people who expanded west so there's right. real real people like johnny appleseed or um uh what's his name the guy who died at the alamo uh davy, davy crockett. crockett yeah uh or they're like figures like Pecos Bill or Paul Bunyan who are entirely fabricated, uh, who who create the Grand Canyon because like their girlfriends bustle. They were just bouncing on her ass for. And then you got know, and then like you got John days. Henry, who was a guy who had a hammer yeah. that was so powerful that he died. Okay, um, so, you, so, you just, so you just created like a multiverse. Yeah, um, and you know, you know I mean, how I didn't. Yeah. I didn't do this. Come on, no. Neil Gaiman did this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say like you know how um you know like how all these like right wing organ like right wing guys like trying to make their own movies and stuff and mm. like with the writers strike and everything, it sort of feels mm. like it's a good, it's an opportune time to like oh, release really, a really new good series idea. of like yeah. pa- like yeah. patriotic superheroes. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really good that, idea because that, they a billion need, dollar idea because they need yeah. to move away from all the heroes created by Jews anyway. That's something they have to do. <laughs> and it and like, you know, I don't want to be a dick or anything, but Johnny Appleseed does not sound like something tribal to me. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's a that's a that's a goyish invention for I, sure. I fear I fear I fear so. You said it, not me. Um <laughs> Why? Why don't we have any analogies? He's saying we have like Robin Hood. You got yeah, like um, Ethelred the Unready, and but like he was a real uh, guy. He was just a king. Yeah, so was Johnny Appleseed. Yes, he was a king among men. He was not a king, as far as like, as far as I can tell. All right, you know what? I'm looking up. Beowulf kind of counts, right? This episode of 10,000 Posts was going to be about Hillsong. Now it's just yeah, about American now mythology. Just about, now it's just about some guy called Johnny Appleseed, which yeah, we may yeah. or may not have, or who existed, <laughs> but may not have existed in the way that uh, people. Oh, I don't he's, got a date of, he's got a date of birth he and lived. a date of death. He, was he lived as a real guy, <laughs> an American pioneer nurseryman. He just lied all the time. Like that's really important. Is that he was a he, he was a lied big liar, all the time. like Daniel Boone. Yeah, another great American hero. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are all like raccoon hat guys, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes. At, so, yes. at some point, yes. at some well, point, but not, not Johnny yeah. Appleseed. He wore, he wore a, pan. a soft yeah. pan on his head. Yeah. And at Supposedly. some point in this multiverse, like Smokey the Bear kind of comes back, and Smokey was also real, and he's from New yeah. Mexico, yeah, and exactly. he's my yeah. friend. I've been to his grave. <laughs> I have been to his grave. <laughs> He's dead. Oh, f- I'm really. Yeah. I'm really oh, yeah. Dead. He was alive like a hundred years ago. Yeah. Right. So this um, documentary, right? Um, <laughs> back, 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 back to the show. Yeah. Um. I, I kind of, because obviously I have like a lot of questions about. Yeah. Like, yeah, and we spoke about some of it. I think one of the things that I sort of got when I was watching the first episode, you know how like we've got a lot of these series at the moment that are kind of retrospectively looking back on like startup guys. Um, who've like turned out to suck and it sort of seems like a lot of these guys Carl Luntz and obviously like being the main guy but like um, they all sort of seem to be they feel like characters played by people trying to portray startups and I guess that sort of brings me to this broader question about like understanding Hillsong as like in the kind of context of tech startups generally and I don't know Mm -hmm. whether that's kind of like whether like how much of that an analogy whether that necessarily like maps onto it because obviously like these guys are not a tech company but they sort of emerge at this time where like you know you have a lot of narratives around startups and disruption uh about you know and i wonder whether like in your mind like these uh the hillsong guys are sort of presenting themselves as kind of being kind of like cultural disruptors in some way 
Yeah, I I think that's a highly apt comparison. Yeah, I mean, I I actually work my my day job is I, I work for a tech company, so like I am surrounded by that kind of guy all the time. Mm. And the thing about startups and tech startups specifically is that it's about the amount of hype that you can generate for a thing that may or may not exist, right? Mm. And it doesn't really matter how much of a core product you have as long as you can keep selling. However, if you do have a solid product, like a real core killer app, oh boy, you can you can you can make money. And for Hillsong, their killer app is the music. Mm. Uh, and, and and they get into this a little bit in in the second episode, toward the end of the second episode, well, really throughout the second episode, um, talking about the way that Hillsong composes all of these different new uh, songs. And, and we, we'd also mentioned this a little bit when we did our last episode together uh, on 10K, where, mm. you know, it's this very... Uh, constantly ascendant, uh, euphoric chords. Yeah, sort of uh, minimal. Like, like the the melodies are very simple. The lyrics are very simple. They're yep. usually emphasizing just like the idea of devotion mm-hmm. or praise. There's not a lot of, but it doesn't have that sort of bouncy celebratory sense of like old 19th century hymns. Right. It's 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 more, yeah. It's more legato. It's more mm-hmm. sort of droning. Um. Because they're not yeah. Dutch. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the thing, right? You're like, no, but honestly, I say that as a joke. But also, if you go and look at like Dutch trance music, you know, your fucking, you know, Armin van Buren, um, Ferry Corsten, that kind of thing, mm. it kind of feels like Hillsong. Yeah. <laughs> except that with, with that trance music, that Dutch trance, there's that aggressive backbeat. With Hillsong, it's 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 light snares, it's a lot of cymbal riffs, you know. <laughs> yeah. And again, these chords ascend until you get to the big sing-off about whoa, what a what a wonderful name it is. The, yeah. the, the name of our Lord, you know, whatever. Yeah, how great is our God? I could sing of your love forever. These right. are all songs that like a contemporary Christian in the US will know. Um, this really like took over music for churches in the 90s, like when it when it was really just like exploding, like everyone started getting into what's called praise and worship music, which is sort of separate from hymns, which is also sort of separate, but a little bit more interlinked with the contemporary Christian music, like rock and pop and metal and everything, that scene where you're buying Mm -hmm. albums. Um, One of the big artists, Michael W. Smith, has written a bunch of praise songs. Um, They all suck. There was an artist named Rich Mullins, and probably his worst song is sung at every... (laughs) Every he was actually a very talented songwriter, but they just took the verses out of one of his songs and just sing uh, uh, "Our God is an awesome God" the chorus over and over and over again. Also, a um, noted New Mexico man, much like Brian. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, lived uh, the last years of his life very near to my hometown. Um, these things are like that's how I knew it. Like I did not know that Hillsong was a church. Really, probably until finding out about the Justin Bieber stuff and everything. I thought it was just a music publishing company like Maranatha or Tooth and Nail or whoever else was out there. I think we talked about this a little bit before when Josh came on. Um, But it sounds like particularly the kind of music is a very deliberate attempt to try to get away from gospel music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. like it's a very kind of, it's a very, kind, very much a kind of reframing of not like what people associate with church music or like certainly what we associate in the UK with church music, which is quite kind of like do a minor key, mm. uh, mm-hmm. and a quite kind of droningy hymns. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone would think like church music. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Give it to me. Um, but it sort of sounds like it's a kind of very deliberate attempt to uh, to kind of evacuate the idea of like joyous church like joyous church music in people's minds, like of any kind of association with like what they're singing in black churches, for example, what's associated yeah. with black churches. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, when we see the people who are interviewed in this documentary, the people who are the actual you know parishioners at mm. this church, um, the, the the congregants, right? They are a, a, it's a very diverse group it is yeah Part of the strength of hillsong is that they were able to use this music to get people in the doors and wrap them up in this euphoric mm. communal mm. experience that yeah. spoke to you regardless of sort of what 
race or class or whatever background you came from, because everybody was sort of swept up in the same moment. Yeah, I think that's one of the failures of this documentary is that like it 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 has sort of a limited view on what Pentecostalism is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're showing clips from Sarah Kernachan's really brilliant documentary, Marjo, which is mostly doing a circuit of white Pentecostal churches because it's about a white evangelist named Marjo Gortner. Um, a, a really like one of the best documentaries ever made. Check it out. Um, but it's it, it's missing the point of what Pentecostalism, what its what its origins are, and what its base is. Because Pentecostal Christianity, charismatic, ecstatic forms of Christianity are primarily working class. Um, they are. It's a very diverse base. The individual churches mm-hmm. might not be diverse, but the the congregations. When you look across everything. Um, it, it can be, you know, of course, black churches, um, Hispanic churches, uh, reservation churches are mm. often very Pentecostal, you know, long services, six, seven hours a day um, movement, um, not so much call and response as it is like free response, right? Mm. The pastor is getting up, making a point. You have the pianist or the organist who's playing along and emphasizing things that are happening. It's improvisational. Uh, on the part of the congregants as well to shout out, you know, that's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, and a lot of what this documentary seems to show is just like, well, it's conservative Christianity as you understand it. It's evangelical Christianity as you understand it, but more so. Yeah. And, um, and that, see, that's, that, that, that's interesting yeah. because I actually got yeah. a really, really different um, read from it. Um Mm, okay. one, one of the things it's it's like it's super interesting to make to make the point that this is like primarily a working class base mm-hmm. church which is like which, which i don't think they went into the only time class was mentioned i think in the whole thing and this wasn't even one of the episodes that we're discussing today is when they're talking about brian houston's father uh founding yeah, his yeah. first church in new zealand and going to this like quite insular working class community where everyone knew each other um and uh and kind of and, and becoming the kind of pa- the pastor there but i think they made quite a significant effort to talk to uh particularly non-white congregants to find out what sure. it was they originally got from it and there was Mm -hmm. like one of them in particular who was talking uh in sort of quite a lot of detail about how um about how this did not feel like uh like a white evangelical church there were lots and lots of black people there are lots and lots of hispanic people in the congregation but what became what started to emerge was they were the ones who were expected to do uh, to do the most volunteer stuff. And at first right, yeah. that felt yeah. like, oh, what an amazing thing to be part of, what an amazing privilege and opportunity. But then when they looked across at the leadership, the leadership is is all white, primarily male. Um, there are women in the ministry who are there prim- like primarily primarily to minister to other to other women. They are there like as kind of adjuncts of their husbands, which again, like that sh- that should not be a huge surprise to you. You join an right, evangelical yeah. church, <laughs> and there's not just like some broad who's like, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. single and I fuck, <laughs> but you know, here I am. Like that just doesn't seem that doesn't seem very likely. Um, but yeah, she and she and she talked about attempting to um, attempting to to kind of raise the like raise the race issue amongst the kind of the the, the Hillsong the Hillsong leadership um and it and this going down this going down very this going down very badly um but there was also an interesting um an interesting part where one of them was talking about having gone to uh the Hillsong Bible College yeah and yeah. being like under the impression um, nobody being under the impression that they were going to have the same um, the same experience there that Carl Lentz did, who was Brian's wonder boy and his and his kind of you know and his kind of golden protege, but that they weren't white men, so they knew that they were not going to be yeah. they were not going to be kind of picked up. They weren't going to um, kind of be sort of. Um, I don't want to. Say, it's it's difficult not using the word the word groomed because it's like it's not. It's, yeah, it's not no, it's that. I think grooming, that, that's like groomed for a yeah, but but that's exactly what is role. grooming a successor, yeah, right? Grooming I mean, a, yeah, grooming a, grooming a successor, and um, and I thought that was quite interesting, but they never quite. I think they never quite 
connected all the parts together. Yeah. I think that's yeah, what I think that's maybe what the issue. Yeah, 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 maybe that. Yeah, it's like really vague when they start talking about the issues that, yeah, that were happening in 2020. And it, it, it is yeah. vague, but there's there's one there's one interesting bit where it shows Carl uh, Carl Lentz uh, saying that Black Lives Matter, and mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. and one of the black congregants says the thing is is that that looked like this incredibly uh, kind of far out progressive. This is not your grandmother's evangelism right. stuff, but actually it was just a really minor and minimal thing that mm-hmm. uh, that even quite sort of apolitical seeming kind of celebrities and, and and other kind of public figures were happily saying at like at the yeah. at the time and um and about how much and about how much the kind of the language of progressivism was hiding what was fundamentally a very standard conservative structure. I, I think one of the challenges that this documentary sort of faced in its development that <clears throat> it just couldn't quite surmount was to what extent do we want this to be a documentary about Hillsong mm. versus an examination of evangelical Christianity? and specifically Pentecostalism in the United States and Australia. I think they kind of made a mistake here Mm. by expanding the scope so much Mm -hmm. uh, by sort of because because there's these parts where like they bring in footage of like guys at Trump rallies. It's like we're so far off. We're we're way off track now. Like these are these are relevant social issues to be clear. But ultimately, the issues with Hillsong as an organization are less to do with the culture war and more to do with its failings in terms of how it did or did not address very real material concerns within its membership. Mm. Um, and so when it when it tries to go off and sort of talk about the state of Christianity more broadly, it's like you can't really do this in the context of something like this. Ultimately, I think it would have been a bit more effective if they just stuck with laying out the story of what happened and left the viewer to sort of draw their own conclusions Mm. as to how this does or does not roll up to uh, evangelical Christianity more broadly. Yeah, I think Mm. that because I think that I think the issue is with documentaries now, and this is obviously very relevant to to how the how this how this show works, is that everything has to be based on this quite kind of reactive model of like of an attention span so you've got that you've got to keep kind of ramping up the revelations and oh oh here's the here's just like he seems i mean you know this is not necessarily something i believe in but like he seems all right and then like kind of the next the next scene it's like oh and he had an affair with a nanny oh oh he oh he was sexually harassing the nanny Mm -hmm. oh it looks like he was maybe rid of and then oh so i don't ah this is interesting because they've deliberately they've deliberate deliberately placed it in the content format yeah so you think one Mm. thing and then you think the next thing according to the next image that you get shown and then you have to go back to the first one then go oh but Mm -hmm. but 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 maybe 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 it's more like being shown a series of a series of shorts or a series of reels or even like a series of TikToks, and and it yeah, can, yeah. and it's and it's and that's and that's how kind of all um, nonfiction stuff has to be framed. It also has to be based on the idea that it catches your attention. It has to be spectacularized uh, in this way because if it doesn't catch your attention when it's on, then that's it. Your work has sunk. You you you'll get you'll you'll be you'll be sunk by. An algorithm, and no one will ever watch it unless you have a surprise cult revival six months down the line, yeah. six months or a year right. down the line. But that which, only which works, doesn't happen with documentaries. Yeah, doesn't happen with like, documentaries. Documentaries are just for right now. Yeah, and that only and that only happens if you can be assured that they're not going to delete it right off their service, which you can't be yeah. sure. Of, which you yeah. can't. Which you can't be. You can't be sure. Of. So it. So it has to take this. Uh, not just kind of spectacularized, but sort of quite oddly ephemeral quality to it because it has to be like content. And it also can't have anything which is too long or complicated because the assumption is is that people aren't actually looking at it. So you have to be shown it in a series of 
frames like you get shown content so like mm-hmm. oh okay so here's Carl Lentz talking for 30 seconds scene 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 change somebody else talking somebody else talking somebody else talking footage from the church and it has to have these scene changes so that if you're looking at your phone while watching it it catches the corner of your eye you can't sit there watching someone be interviewed for five minutes because that's not how that's not how you consume content anymore and it also means that since they've got one shot to make this documentary no one's commissioning a second series so they've got to get everything in there they've got they've got it they got it they got it and also if it's an american documentary you absolutely can't you can't not mention trump and you can't not mention right the intersections of like trumpism with evangelism you like you, you yeah because trump eats everything it yeah. would it would make it it would make you look like it would make it look like you'd sort of been in a kind of semi kind of fugue state for the past decade like if you're not mentioning it you have to come up with a really really good reason why you're not and they didn't seem particularly interested in doing that but i did what one thing that i did think was interesting was when the one of the vanity fair journalists who led the investigation who said that it's their absolute favorite kind of story um, where it looks like it's about one thing and then it turns out to be about a whole bunch of other things all together. And I think that's like the kind of the quality of watching, of like watching this documentary, this idea. Yeah, that they, like they, they just really intentionally mirrored that structure. Finding stuff and finding stuff and finding stuff. Yeah. But it does make it a bit overwhelming to consume. And so then they have to oversimplify it and put it into these kind of content style blocks. So they have to kind of reduce it yeah. back down. Which is sort of interesting why it's been like a four-parter, right? Because like the first episode, I think, is... I think the first episode like that I watched fully, um, because like with the second one, uh, I wasn't unfortunately able to sort of complete all of it. But from the first one, it's sort of... It feels like there's a lot being thrown at you. So it's kind of like... Yeah, there's like the sort of evan- the American evangelical context, and as sort of mentioned, like this is like a very... This is like a sliver of it, and it kind of touches on like you know, it's gro- it's kind of proliferation with media, but like the sort of comment, which is something that we've touched upon, we thought we touched on in like previous episodes, like, you know, part of their sort of ascension is the result of like their ability to kind of be um, early adopters of mass communication. And so they sort of draw this parallel between Hillsong and like old evangelical churches. But then at the same time, it's like, it's not quite like that for the reason that like you know there are certain aspects there are certain points in both episodes where and in the first one in particular where they kind of point out that they were thinking of themselves as like a media company or like a music company so that's like the story about why they situate in new york and it's like why they sort of want to be in like celebrity circles like the decisions that they make in terms of like what they communicate and how they communicate is very digitally orientated which is something that I, when I was watching, I was like, this is like very interesting because it sort of shows Hillsong, like it's Hillsong as a, it doesn't, the the church aspect isn't necessarily as interesting as what it's actually trying to sell, which in some cases isn't even, in in, in fact, like, you know, when they sort of talk about, um, well, I I can't remember who it was, but when, I think when one of the sort of followers, uh, one of the members of the congregation um, makes the point that like, you know, uh, Hillsong sort of put out a statement saying that actually we don't believe in like same sex. We don't believe in like the validity mm-hmm. of like same sex relationships and marriage. And like he's he says this line like you know where he was like I'm watching the pastor who I care about and like look up to basically say that like I don't exist. Um, oh yeah, that was the the the, the gay guy, the guy mm. who like, played in the band, went on yes. Survivor. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. Mm. Yeah. And it's but it's kind of like okay, well, in terms of how they communicate, is very interesting because they're sort of aware that like their existence is very much dependent on this like digital economy that they have sort of willing they're like wanting to participate in like at a time when it's sort of like you know uh, in in t- like at a time when this digital infrastructure is like engulfing culture and it would have been interesting yeah. to sort of like explore that a little bit more. Only in the broad, and you know, maybe, and again, I sort of think to myself, maybe it's not the documentary's job to do that. It's like shows like this where we sort of think about these types of organizations and institutions as like ones that have to engage with content and like produce content. Um, but yeah, I think like the first one sort of threw quite a lot mm. at you, and then the second one, mm-hmm. which kind of is then a very sort of like you know focusing on Carl Lentz, but in a sort of very, I don't, I don't know. I think Phoebe, you were right in the sense of that, again, it throws quite a lot at you in a t- in a type of way yeah. that mirrors the way that you consume content, and so you sort of get the feeling at the end of it, which is he's a bad guy, but you can't quite locate like right. 
where he is. If it is a story that's bigger and if it is a story where there's so much more going on and it's, and it's about power structures and it's about like the rise of a particular kind of vibes economy, but also the ways in which online exploitation or like the ways in which like emotional exploitation um, can then be sort of distilled online. Like it doesn't quite, you know, he needs to be situated in a way where you can sort of understand how he is central to like what was built almost independent of him. Well, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's the church's influencer. Is, mm-hmm. is is what mm. is what is what Carl is what Carl answers. It's it's interesting that it's so focused on this kind of sort of the way of engaging with its with its followers and engaging with its congregation. Um, it's it's all it's almost particularly the, the the bit when the when the gay bloke is talking about being disavowed by the church. Uh, it sounds like uh, it sounds like they think of the congregants as as, the, as their advertisers. So. Uh, so they're kind so they're so they're basing things um on sort of weigh, weighing up what they're most likely to be able to 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 get away with with some congregants what they're um what they will lose what they will lose subscribers over what they will lose advertisers over and it's not yeah, and it, posting cringe things of that nature yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so like so it's a so it's you know remember when um remember when nike brought out the um the colin kaepernick advert um i probably butchered the pronunciation of his name so i do apologize for that um uh it's nike and colin kaepernick uh <laughs> Thank you. Um, and like, lots of people like kind of losing their shit about like, oh, like, isn't this like great that Nike have done this? And it's like, yeah, like it's it's like it's better than bringing out an advert calling him like calling him a like a kind of unpatriotic scumbag. Right, but right, still, right. But it's still an advert and it's still getting you to buy sneakers that have been, you know, made by children in the global south. Like it's not this right. is not yeah. anything other than them working out what is going to have the most deleterious or the most positive effect on their bottom line can they afford to lose the racists if they're gaining the people who like think that who think who think of themselves as very much not racist are you gaining some yeah. you get how many white meaning white liberals are you well-meaning white liberals are you going to gain um in exchange for losing your racists and that's how it feels like they were engaging with like, the question of like whether or yeah. not they yeah. could support their gay member like is it is it what is it is it worth it is it worth keeping up our keeping up our vibe as this kind of new kind of progressive evangelism um or is it or is it worth you know alienating our homophobic homophobic congregants they obviously decided that it was not worth alienating them um and uh, and kind of and acted and acted accordingly but for something which is so focused on uh on the structures of how you engage with an online audience and how you um and how you persuade uh how you persuade your your followers the the followers of your of your influencer uh to uh you know to 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 buy to buy the stuff that they are advertised to if you want to put it in the crudest possible terms like i mean i'm not saying that i'm not saying that the people who uh, either run the church uh, or go to the church don't have meaningful and real religious yeah. feeling because that's not something which I'm in any position to comment on. Um, yeah. But but this is how mega churches like are run. Like yeah, like this yeah, is yeah. this is how they do their messaging. Is like they look at it in terms of advertising. This goes all the way back to you know when these things started in the yeah, post-war yeah. period. Uh, yeah, the first mega churches were being started in like like. Um, drive-in theaters you know and then we get the crystal cathedral then we get people like billy graham and oral roberts Mm. who are going on tv and you know doing the big crusades and their whole idea is how do we sell this and and they say it outright this is not like just the the cynics explanation of it these people are looking at principles of advertising and sales and saying how do we do this with the gospel yeah 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 and that and that's what i and that's what i find so interesting that it is so recognizable in terms of uh, of a kind of influencer and brand interaction economy and yet it's sort of it's also still sort of quite untechnological like we looked at um last time josh was on we talked about we talked about um kind of evangelical tiktok but the stuff, uh, the stuff that's kind of on there is actually very, very 
uninterested in uh, taking kind of novel approaches with the form. It's just someone yeah. like filming themselves, like get, like giving it, like giving a like giving a piece of like giving a piece of advice, uh, appealing to appealing to a gospel, so on and so forth. But like, there's no like real use of like, there's no real like kind of recognition of it as an easily editable short video media it's 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 basically just doing extracts of what they've been doing with big yeah, mega you're, churches you're, but just, you're doing a sermon and it just so happens to be on tech yeah it just basically. so happens that it yeah. that it's got a kind of like it's got a kind of like a good like kind of good looking 20 year old like reading it out it makes like it's there's, there's a really a, weird looking 20 year old in the case weird of that one 20, guy. there were no normal looking 20 year olds in the evangelical <laughs> no. tiktoks they either had this like kind of perfect like kind of gleaming seal instagram face or they were just like well, that's interesting. I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen this kind of arrangement of facial features before, and this is this is fascinating. Maybe you should reconsider your stance on evolution if that's if like just because this is like this feels this feels like new a new evolution. person. This feels like a new I, kind of species that we are looking at. I, I think that pulls back to Carl Lentz in a really interesting <laughs> way, though, too, because Carl Lentz is very photogenic, right? Yeah, we 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 we. And, and he's ha he has like a thousand different looks. He's always right. changing his like you see anytime they do a flashback, you're like, oh, shit, wh who's that? guy? Yeah. And then you hear him talk. He sounds exactly the same. Of course. But like, yeah, no, his look is always sort of calibrated to whatever the style of the moment is the yeah. you know, the prevailing moment. So, you know, his his look that we see when he is. Uh, young and preaching at the Hillsong. Oh, classic college. 90s piece of shit. Oh, uh, fucking like crusty wonderful. hair. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the bit where his wife is is like describing meeting him and just being like, interesting, like, yeah, <laughs> he had these boot cut jeans. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's amazing. Imagine seeing that and being like, oh my God, what a charismatic man. I must marry him. Um, uh, yeah, no, no, it's, 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 it's really fascinating. But yeah, like I said, it's very untechnological, but it is also so incredibly plugged into the norms and expectations of yeah. this type of digital economy, which makes me think actually that Churches like Hillsong don't borrow from the influencer economy. The influencer economy borrows from churches like Hillsong. I actually think that's potentially mm. more the direction of travel because if they have been going on like this since since there was mass communication at any scale, yeah, then isn't it that advertisers have looked have looked there? and said like how are we gonna be getting more people to buy our shit we need we need kind of these carriers we need these like kind of charismatic uh kind of frontispieces that we can like send out and get people to think that they are that they are friends and and it's and it's it's not it's not so dissimilar in terms of that kind of uh the, the necessity of that kind of relationship and also the the uh the fiction the fictionality of that kind of relationship because mm -hmm. with a congregation of that size he doesn't care individually about the final destination of their souls of course he doesn't because there are fucking loads of them um right like it's not possible for him to actually literally care about them but his job is to make sure that he that they think that he does and that yeah. well, and that's the job of the influencer I'm curious what you guys thought about, you know, there, there's two stories that Carl Lentz tells in, in the first parts of this documentary. Number one is during his time at Hillsong College. Um, actually, I think it's his wife who, who t tells about how, like, he would just go out and just talk to people every day. And at every service, there would mm. be like rows of seats reserved for people he had just randomly gone out and talked to and had convinced to come. And then uh, the other thing that he talks about is how he would take Bibles to the club and <laughs> uh, like would would be hanging out, I guess, at at clubs in I'm assuming Williamsburg. He lived at 184 Kent, which is very, very funny if you know anything about Williamsburg. Um, but he 
I'm curious to hear what you thought about sort of this one-on-one interaction and his apparently uniquely strong uh, charismatic abilities. Well, as in like, do, do I think that he was actually as charismatic as he says, as, as like people said he was? Yeah. And, and, and if so, like, how does that hit you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like as I, 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 I look at lots of Americans and think they're a lot more charismatic. Um, and maybe that's kind of, and maybe that's just like a cultural thing. Um, I mean, that being said, I think there was something that you mentioned about like, just like the environment of which like these kind of churches are kind of like promoting. And I do wonder whether like, yeah, I, I think to go back to the influencer thing, and I feel like it's a combination of just like being able to sort of like say influencer vibesy types of stuff in environments where people are attending because I think like, you know, they, there is sort of like, you know, they, they kind of come together because they sort of need connection and they sort of, you know, there is, I think one of the undercurrents of all this is loneliness and just like the chronic state yeah. of loneliness mm-hmm. that brings uh... people to these places. And so if you're able to sort of find someone who even like is kind of has a, like a little bit of charisma and that by mean, by which I mean sort of being able to sort of talk to and crowd without feeling awkward, that might just be enough. So it's not to necessarily say that like this guy is uniquely charismatic. I don't think he is. But I think that, like, for the type of environment that he's working in, like, that, yeah, he's sort of charismatic enough to make it work. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, mm. no, it does. It, do you agree, Phoebe? Um, I think that it's the kind of thing where it's a sort of charisma that only affects you with the energy of a crowd. And sure. I, like, I could, I could watch, um, I could watch what I think is like one of the funniest stand up in the world if I'm watching it on, my own in my house on TV, I'll I'll enjoy it, but I'm not gonna laugh. But if I am in sure. a crowd of people who are all laughing, then it's actually really pretty easy to make me laugh because um I, because there's something about like the kind of the sort of the shared energy of being in a crowd. If I'm like yeah, like if I I, I watched a bit of I watched a bit of glass of uh, like the Glastonbury sets. Uh, like on like on tv and like i had absolutely no desire whatsoever to like sing along or like dance like it just in the the living room that that one franz ferdinand performance from like 2011 or whatever (laughs) that's that's one of the best things i've ever seen okay you know what that i feel like that's a bit different and like you know you know you know you know what you know what you know what i'm gonna be elderly about this um the 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 young people don't have anything like it now i don't think i don't <laughs> they're think they're too busy they're on their too, phones it's not even that they're too busy on their phones they're too busy listening to olivia fucking rodrigo like it's it's i think <laughs> that it's very very important to have lined up your, your like a kind of formative young experience either with franz ferdinand or with the first arctic monkeys album not even because they're like particular <laughs> favorites of mine it's just and that's like that's important if like your prom song was mm. like if your prom song was like I don't know name me a, name me a song from five years ago <laughs> fucking hell uh, uh well I'm just thinking like stupid horse hundred gex I think the kids who imprinted on hundred gex are gonna be fine <laughs> they're fine they're fine but then the again hundred gex prom but then again there would be there yeah. would be no hundred gex without there'd be no 100 gets without this there'd be no 100 gets without icona pop and yes i am being elderly and i don't give a shit like, pop. <laughs> oh my god so, so, if, so if it's 2018 and you're care, at, i love it if it's 2018 <laughs> and you're at prom yeah the things that you're probably listening to at prom if you're like listening to mainstream pop music yeah is uh uh one kiss by calvin harris and dua lipa absolutely uh, exactly absolutely. rockstar rock by post malone or mm-hmm. fucking um, hell, and and I don't and I don't hate this. Um, sicko mode, like Travis Scott, sicko mode, right? Yeah, but no, si- no, sicko mode is genre. I'm sorry, you're not gonna have like that's not like <laughs> like that's still that's still genre. Sicko mode absolutely does not count. No, 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 no. What I want, what I, what I want to see is what you know the bit right at the start of of Take Me Out where everyone stamps on the floor. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's my go-to they, karaoke song they, for a reason. They don't have that anymore. And mm. you're not going to find that in Post Malone as nice a guy as I am told he is meant to be. You're just, <laughs> like, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just mm. not. It, 
and I and I, I appreciate that this is an ex, this is quite a this is quite a tangent, but I am making a very well. No, I, point. Here, here's the thing. I had a very Phoebe, atypical you, prom experience. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> Phoebe, you are you are. It sounds to me like what you need is just like a really great communal music experience mm. where you mm. can just sort of like open up your heart yeah. and sort of like oh, lift yeah. it up in o- Open praise. the eyes of your heart. Yeah. yeah do, mm. uh, do you know anywhere I might be able to find that? Like, honestly, like, so, like someone should someone should try and get me down to one of these churches. I would be the easiest convert ever. I have like, <laughs> I, have, I, have su- I have such a good time in large, large crowds <laughs> listening to music. I don't care what I'm listening to. So, um, so yeah, you want if you wanna if you wanna wanna get a really really easy, <laughs> um, easy convert. That is that is me. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think like I think that when it comes to like assessing the charisma, because remember as well is like like at least half of the video interviews that you see with him. This is like this is after his like downfall. You're not looking at right. You're not looking at the yeah. height of him at the height of the of of Carl Lentz. You're looking at a broken man. Um, well, well, well. Broken, yes, but also still very carefully calibrated, right? Oh, no, like, no, no, no. And, this and, is and that, and that was another persona. But that, still. but that was another interesting thing was the the way in which even just while watching him being interviewed, I could feel myself being manipulated, and I knew mm-hmm. that it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, actually, I, I can't wait. Hang on, come on. When he was like sort of talking about like he still can't ta- stop talking like a pastor. Yeah, he like, was he's like always he, doing a yeah, sermon. Yeah, yeah, which I which I which I do think is interesting. But then whenever they showed him like on stage, and maybe this is just because this is very much not my religious and cultural background. There's no there's no real like for me. There's not any particular appeal in um in religion or any kind of faith based. Pro- faith-based practice taking the shape of someone like kind of hollering at me like i find that a little yeah, bit yeah. like nah no that's not what we <laughs> that's that's like that's not that's not what that's not what we that's not what we do um and that's not to say that i like discount the like discount the legitimacy of experiencing um experiencing religious ecstasy which i you know which i think is a real thing I think that I think that it's real. I think it has to be. I think it's really important to try to uh, separate the legitimacy of that experience with the very real harm that churches like this can do to people mm-hmm. yeah. raised in them. Like and uh, and the effect, uh, the no doubt absolutely horrifying effect of growing up queer in such a church. I imagine that being a being a being a, a woman in a church like this probably not great um in many in 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 many in many in many different ways um but it but when they but when they showed him kind of on stage i didn't really get anything out of it but i might be able to sort of see the point of it a little bit but then again it really just reminded me it just reminded me of like of kind of obnoxious ted talk showmanship which is also not mm-hmm. something i find particularly mm-hmm. convincing or convincing or charismatic um, but you're not in the room either. I'm not in the, in, I'm in, not in in the room. Admittedly. Being in the room makes a big difference. I know, no, I'm sure it would make an absolutely huge difference. But I do know that like watching some like watching someone in like kind of button down shirt, like kind of belting around a stage would just make me think, no, 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 this is not for me. This is this is not for me. Yeah, I, I always find it very off putting. Yeah, honestly. especially just like the way Carl Lentz talks, the way that other pastors like like Mark Driscoll, the Mars Hill guy, the way he talks. Um, but like so many, I, I mean, I grew up with so many people who ended up going to these like mega churches, mm. um, and and they talk about this very briefly how new how the New York uh, Hillsong develops these satellite churches, and what a lot of those satellite churches do, and I know this from friends of mine who went to an Albuquerque satellite of a Seattle church, uh, <laughs> uh, is that they will they will have their own music and everything, but then the sermon will just be broadcast in to the church. So the whole sermon does not have a pastor there in the room with you. You're watching him on screen. And so there is that in the room aspect, but then there's also not, there is something about the screen that is appealing to people in the same way that Billy Graham used it, you know, 80 years ago. That is not for me Mm. or for Phoebe. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, Maybe it's because it makes you feel like there is something divine about the presence because 
on a screen they just look so massive and if you're like in this crowd and this kind of like massive person is like kind of hollering like hollering down at you. I mean like because I don't know there isn't really a, there isn't really a tradition of like hollering rabbinicalism I'd quite yeah. like to if there, <laughs> if like if like sort of somewhere there is just like there is just like one old rabbi who just like yells himself hoarse. Like if that <laughs> exists, that exists in New Jersey somewhere, and I'd quite like to know. Well, I was going to say it. it's in like, Borough Park, probably. Yeah, I was going to say it's like a Heredity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not. But like it's that we're we're much we're much more focused on like on the kind of the arguing and and snacking. Yeah, kind of axes <laughs> of. Um, of of religion and and also I suppose I suppose it's because there's just a very different um, theologies in terms of the final destination of the soul. Like if you don't have the idea yeah, of yeah. hell, sure. um, you're you're gonna be right. you're you gonna don't be have like, to rescue people. You're gonna yeah. be kind of you're gonna be sort of focused focusing a little bit less on kind of like what other people are doing with the final destination of their souls are, and more about right, like yeah. when they're gonna bring out the snacks. I will say, <laughs> Brian Houston does love hollering and he does love being up on a big screen he does Um, love to holler he's a he's a he's a he's a shouty guy and i think as we as we've um i think we've we've mentioned this on the on the show before but um because there are two types of australians there are good cunts and there are bad cunts Um, (laughs) oh he's a bad cunt brian houston unfortunately bad bad cunt dog cunt dog cunt (laughs) Our Australian listeners will be able to confirm that this is the correct. It's also like it's it's hard to overstate just how much sometimes these guys come across as like Milo Edwards characters. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're so weird. Yeah. Mm. Sadly, none of us can just none, none of us can do enough voices to like. No, I know. I know. But yeah. Yeah. I'm just conscious. I'm just conscious about time. So I think, yeah. uh, bef- like, bearing in mind that these are only two episodes and that we will be returning to uh, the last two uh, next week. Um, yeah, I wondered whether, like, in ter- I, I don't want to say like final thoughts because obviously there's quite a lot to unravel. Um, and as you've sort of alluded to, like, the next two episodes really kind of look into uh, the sort of you know when the sort of like labor issues and the financial issues among other things. Um, but I did kind of have a I did I did wonder uh whether you guys had any thoughts just on uh I guess like the fallen character of Nick Lentz. I was honestly I was quite surprised that he participated in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um because again like thinking about all the startup guys and like all these types of like you know what happens when your company fails and stuff like yeah. they very rarely sort of come on but I was thinking while we were talking about who Carl Lentz is and sort of like just if we feel, sort of think about him as an influencer, then just the whole kind of influencer apology uh, yeah. type of, uh, what you call it, like the type, the, the type of influencer apology content that isn't really an apology. It's more, it's kind of like an attempted rebrand. But for yeah. Carl Lentz in particular, this to me, this strikes me as interesting because obviously so much of um, like the Hillsong theology, so to speak, is about like this a very specific, like the, the aesthetics of redemption rather than like, any sort of meaningful thought at redemption. And, and I wondered what your thoughts were on like, why you think that he decided to participate in this documentary. Yeah. I, well, I knew we were in trouble when he broke out that ukulele. <laughs> 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 no, I think it's, I think it's twofold. I think number one, uh, there was that discovery documentary where they interviewed the mistress. And so he mm. wanted to yeah. sort of provide his counterpoint to that. And number two, he very clearly has a score to settle with Brian Houston. He fucking hates that guy's mm. guts. And yeah. so this he is wanted ben to going on the TV and gone girl. This is, this is like, <laughs> I'm going to use this media to like get to these people. Now I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my crying. I'm going to do my, <laughs> my, oh, he my does sermonizing. Mm. But now I'm going to take this thing that I consciously, uh, took advantage of for 20 years mm. uh, and, and change. And now I'm going to flip it around. I'm going to say, I knew everything about this. This is how it all works. Uh, and and here's how I'm going to throw this back at at my now enemies. Mm. Again, it's it's the same. It's the same principle as with the advert. Is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth making myself look like 
look like a weirdo and a danger and someone who like exploits people's labor and you know and 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 engages in wage theft and is it worth it if i can drag this guy who i hate down with me Mm -hmm. all right i've run the numbers let's make some sneakers yeah (laughs) yeah and i mean Mm. like i know you know i know people who were at hillsong like i know people who volunteered Mm. hours and hours and hours and hours of their lives and struggled you know making enough money to to stay living in the city and everything like that and and had interacted with carl lentz and how like cold and indifferent he was Mm. really to everything he would just roll up in his car and when it was done he'd roll out he had no relationship with the people who worked for him mm. or really even a lot of the people that worked with him. And then some of the relationships he did have were exceedingly inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. The, so it sounds, yeah. The bit about his, uh, you know, their live-in nanny who was the wife of the pastor at the Boston church who then, in order to raise that family's kids oh they had God. to get a nanny of their own <laughs> and both carl and his wife she was Laura, like spending christmas away oh from my. her family to be with the lenses and it's like well she just loved us so much it's like no that is not something yeah, no. that <laughs> someone does on an yeah, ordinary I, and I found basis. i found that one particular bit like very very heartbreaking because it was that one yes. that one young that one young woman who um i think she was hispanic she wasn't she certainly wasn't yep. white who was the lenses nanny's nanny who was well, looking after it, looking after her kids so that she could go and fuck Carl Lentz, as far as we can tell. Um, yeah, and there's there's class signifiers there about her, yeah, right? And that she also she said, wasn't like, able to afford the the college thing on her own, so yeah. she had to pool money from the people around her, which then means that she's not like in poverty, but probably sure, not like yeah, comfortably yeah. middle class yeah, yeah, either. Yeah, she's no, a certain was, kind of New Yorker. Like it was a very yeah. it was a very it was a kind of particular kind of stratification. And then this and this woman said, you know, I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to to minister for them, but I'm good enough right. to be their nanny's nanny, um, which yeah. is like, yeah, ugh, a bit much. Um, also, just to be just to be clear, the na- like the nanny did later allege that uh, that that Lentz um, that Lentz like like abused and harassed her. So like, well, and both it, of that, both of them, both Carl too, and yeah. Laura were emotionally abusing yeah, her. And yeah. Carl was like hitting on her all the yeah, time. So it's like, so it's maybe not particularly fair to like, sort of say, Oh, she was like fucking this married guy. Um, but I haven't, I haven't read the, I haven't read the medium piece. I think it's still up. I think it's still up. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's fucked. I'm so we can, we can sure, yeah. sure it is. I think I, I think on that note, and also because we can probably revisit that in mm-hmm. the yeah. uh, bonus episode, uh, it's probably yeah. time to uh, wrap up uh, at least the first section of this two-part series. What on, a heartwarming on, note to end. Yeah, on. it happens yeah. with our show. <laughs> um, but on that, yeah, uh, I, I will say until next time, which will be next week. Uh, Josh and Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for our free thank listeners you. who. Uh, want to hear more Josh and Brian uh, in between uh, weeks how can they how can they do that well Well, we have a podcast called the worst of all possible worlds Uh, we spend a lot of our time talking about evangelical culture and evangelical media because it's something that Josh and I grew up in and our uh, third co-host AJ did not grow up in he grew up Catholic sort of Um, and uh then we spend a lot of the rest of the time talking about various pieces of pop culture and just sort of how they relate to the country, the empire, the time that we live in, movies, video games, TV shows, books, what have you. Yeah, we've got a couple episodes of our sub-series Wits Endless Summer where we talk about an evangelical Christian radio drama. Uh, and there are episodes Adventures of that. Adventures in Odyssey. That's and, right. Uh, and something that is, has been running now for like 35 years. And we have done <laughs> episodes uh, with both of the delightful co-hosts of this podcast. Yeah, it really is uh, something to listen to. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, by the time this is released, uh, there will also be an episode out with Scott Benson, the uh, cr- co-creator of Night in the Woods, where we talk about the game Castlevania. That's a, a real banger of an episode, so be sure to go check that one out as well. Yeah, yeah. go do that. Worstpossible.world um, is our website. We will put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of 10,000 Posts. Uh, we have lots of good bonus content on our Patreon, including the part two of this episode, which will be out next week. 
Um, but in the meantime, if you want to listen to lots of very good bonus content, uh, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast, five bucks a month that helps us to run the show, helps us run it without ads. It also helps to keep us editorially independent, which we like very much. Um, Phoebe, do you got, have you got any plugs? Um, yeah, why not uh, subscribe to my Substack? That's something that you can do. Um, you gotta. You gotta. You gotta <laughs> subscribe. Uh, you can listen to more of uh, me and Milo Edwards' voices and characters um, over on our Seinfeld podcast, which is Masters of Art Domain. And uh, have I got anything else? Oh, yeah. Um, there's also Roamcast. All the links will be available. Yeah. Go, listen, go listen to all that. Go consume my content. <laughs> consume <laughs> all the content. Um, this show is produced by Devon. Follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. Listen to their podcast. It's called Kill James Bond. It's very, very good. Um, and until next time, we will catch you later. Bye. Bye.